there. This is the A Lot to Say podcast, a conversation-based project focused on unconventional career paths and the projects that consume us. I'm your host, Gary Williams, or Gaz, as many call me. And A Lot to Say is part of the Alt Project's family of content, uh, obsessing about the overlap between creativity, technology, and culture. I'm fortunate to spend my days working alongside technologists, artists, researchers, and people who just generally give a damn about the world we live in. And I'm very lucky to be able to hear of some incredible career journeys over that time from some really inspiring people. So I am particularly energized by the projects that I hear people are experimenting and tinkering on along the way. And I thought, you know what, it's time to put these stories out there with the A Lot To Say podcast project. I can't wait for you to hopefully discover some new and lesser known stories about the things people get wrapped up in and what led them to this point. This is A Lot To Say. Well, for this episode, uh, episode number two of A Lot To Say podcast, we have Ray Johnston. Uh, Who is Ray? Well, Ray is a multi-award winning STEM journalist. She's a Wiradjuri woman, a mother, broadcaster, voice actor, and MC. Uh, We get into it in the episode, but Ray is the first ever science and technology editor for NITV across online TV and radio. Uh, She's a host on TV's That Startup Show and The Point. And Ray is also the co-host of Take It Black, NITV's podcast, exploring the stories behind the news. She's had a decade of experience appearing on every national TV and radio news program in Australia, and she's a leading commentator on all things science, technology, video games, and geek culture, as well as regularly appearing as a, a speaker and MC across many, many online and in-person events. So how do I know Ray? Uh, look, apart from following her for quite some time on her on a very awesome and healthy uh, Twitter account. Uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Ray through our involvement in the Science Gallery Melbourne Leonardo's group gatherings. That's a think tank of sorts uh, that would discuss upcoming Science Gallery Melbourne exhibitions engaging 15 to 25-year-olds in uh, pursuing a career in those fields. So it's very cool to get to know her a bit through that. We also happen to have a panel discussion at PAX in uh, late 2018 in Melbourne in front of about 500 people, which was cool, no pressure. And I've had the pleasure of bumping into her from time to time. Sometimes she even just appears magically on my TV. <laughs> Look, in the chat today, uh, you know, we chatted at length on a number of points, but mainly just saw where the conversation would take us. Uh, the reality of operations and admin work in a media role was was probably an unusual way to open the conversation. Um but, you know, organising quite a number of things myself, um, it's a reality of the day-to-day and I thought I'd um, completely disarm her by asking that straight off the bat. But we discussed at length the, the passion required to forge your own career and where you feel most passionate about simply. Uh, we focused on Indigenous representation and STEM engagement, uh, diversity ratios and mentorship for underrepresented folk in uh, game development, which was really cool. And we discussed the current state of the video game industry, um, the influence of pop culture, and found an excuse to chat about some really, really nerdy stuff. Um, So it's my absolute pleasure to have Ray involved. Um, Thank you all for joining us. We'll dive into the conversation now. This is A Lot to Say with Ray Johnston. All right, Ray Johnston, thank you so much for joining me for the A Lot to Say podcast. Absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a genuine pleasure to be able to chat with you today. 
Oh, look, I've been following along with, um, you know, a lot of what you've been doing over time. I mean, you're very public and, and active, I guess, in promoting the, the numerous, um, I guess, initiatives or projects that you're involved in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a different tact um, straight away, though. But before asking about these incredible projects, how do you feel about the, I guess, that, that more monotonous and tedious operational side? Because the reality is there's so much coordination, um, travel, um, I guess, emailing back and forth, which I guess removes you from that, you know, when you're in that sort of creative moment per se. How do you feel about it and how have you reconciled with that over the, um, over the past few years? I genuinely love doing admin. I know that makes me a bizarre specimen of a human, but honestly, (laughs) coordinating my schedule and keeping on top of my diary and making sure everything is flowing how it should, you know, making sure that I'm checking my emails at the same time every day and getting back to as many people as possible, all of that side of it, I genuinely love doing it. And it's almost a bit of Zen time out, you know, busy work that I engage myself in, in between doing the more audience facing creative type of things that I do. So it's kind of like a a bit of downtime for me almost. I, I don't really know how to switch off very well. I'm not very good at that. So getting through all of that sort of thing is is genuinely something I enjoy. And I know that makes me strange, but I, I don't care. <laughs> not, not strange at all. I think it's just, it is a reality though, isn't it? Um, for anyone working in high, you know, fast paced, uh, let's call it energetic, let's call it um, highly creative. There, there is an element that you also have to dive in and coordinate, et cetera. And some people get really fatigued by it. Um, they feel it, I guess, dampens the creative process. But um, by the same token, there is always the elements of, outsourcing some parts of that to others but um I'm not sure I get get a sense that you just like to keep abreast of everything happening and just uh, retain that control and knowledge of uh, I guess what you're getting involved in (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean I do have a an agent and manager that I work with very closely Erin Keneally at Morrissey Management and she is an angel Uh, she's very good at the side of things that I'm not very good at and that is mainly money (laughs) and negotiating fees and essentially she puts out quotes for things that I would never consider myself worth uh, but she obviously values me a lot more than I do sometimes so I just leave all that up to her but also look having her take care of the money side of any jobs that I've booked really leaves me just open and available to working on doing the best job possible without having to think about any awkward conversations that we've had around you know fees or invoices or making sure I'm getting paid so that's probably the only thing that I outsource and the rest of it I just yeah really love to keep on top of it myself I religiously use a calendar that has my day scheduled out to the half hour Uh, I do try to slot in some absolute free time on some days but yeah most days I'm just jumping from task to task to task and I I love it I, I love to mix up my day completely and I love having that control over my day as well yeah, and that's it's that control element, um, I guess, which is a clincher. I, I totally agree. And um, 
Look, I, I want to dive in. I, I fear that my may have alienated some people who've tuned in. They're like, they want the um, the juicy details about all the various projects, the really exciting stuff that you've done over the years. And <laughs> I've just launched straight into admin, you know. But I wanted to, I wanted to bring it down to reality, and then we'll, you know, we'll go sky high with um, something fun. <laughs> yeah, the the reality of uh, answering four hundred emails a day is is not as it's not the side of a, a glamorous TV presenter job that you think about. That's for sure. Right. Thanks so much for um, uh, I guess yeah, painting a picture of what the reality of day to day is. Look, let's talk about what you're doing. I guess career wise, if if you could sort of call that. I know it's this multifaceted series of. Um, a mixture of roles and jobs and appearances and so on. But let's talk about what your primary um, role is within, um, I guess, well, you you know, you obviously operate as a, a STEM journalist, um, but how that manifests is in across numerous platforms and delivery methods. So let's talk about your role at NITV and um, the other projects you're involved in currently. Absolutely. So I'm the science and technology editor at NITV, and that's a cross-platform role. So I produce, write, edit stories for the online website. Uh, I also do the same for our numerous news programs. So we've got daily news bulletins, which I will produce science or technology-related news for. And we've also got a weekly news wrap program called NULA, which is simulcast on SBS as well, and that is on Friday afternoons, and I have a science and technology segment that I present on that. Uh, We also have The Point, which is our current affairs program, so I create stories for that show uh, that's themed every week, so I'll I'll find a story that fits with the theme and and see where that goes. Uh, And and we've also got Living Black, which is a longer documentary style series as well, so it's really a matter of looking at the story and saying where is this best told how is this best told and where can I really fit it and it's really exciting and I love it and then we've got a podcast as well uh, at NITV called Take It Black yeah yeah and that's more of a kind of behind the scenes look at how stories come together and finding out a little bit of extra info as to what the reporters have done and what the journalists have done behind the scenes. So while it's not specifically science and tech based, Mm. uh, we, we do touch on those topics sometimes as well. I mean, uh, I, uh, as I understand, you're the first science and technology editor for NITV. So um, fundamentally you're, you're, a greenfields project so you're you're new in the role how are you how are you sort of finding and how are you finding i guess as you're i guess expanding that breadth from purely sort of stem or science and technology engineering and maths into um more of a sort of generalist content creation role as well uh well i'm actually less generalist than i have been in previous roles surprisingly so yeah, right. i've always, yeah i've i've done a bit of science and technology content for nitv on a casual basis since about 2016 i'd say so it's been a few years that i've worked with the team there coming on and and producing and presenting science and tech based segments for different programs so taking on the science and technology editor role there was the first time that they've had a dedicated person just reporting on that area whereas say previously you know directly prior to coming over to NITV I was the editor at Junkie and Mm -hmm. heading over there from my role at Gizmodo which was core science and tech and (laughs) a really highly educated audience in those fields as well 
you know, Junkie was a far more general audience, very youth based, and I was covering a lot more, you know, entertainment, even politics there. Mm. Heading over to NITV, I was really able to narrow my focus once again just on the science and technology aspect of things, uh, which has been really, really lovely uh, to be able to just, you know, sink my teeth into my passions in that sense. Yeah. I, I don't I don't mind generalizing in the role that I do as a journalist. I think it's important to understand everything that's happening in the world and how it impacts on the things that you specifically report on. Yeah. But it is really nice to be able to not have to be across absolutely everything that's happening everywhere at any given moment, which you might you might imagine, Gary, is a is a little bit impossible. Uh, it is. Um, oh, look, I've actually got something to address that directly, but um, but before, and that's in relation to, I guess, the concept of noise, noise permeating um, around you at all times, as in where to focus, uh, I guess, attention and prioritise the balance between, you know, family, etc. But I mean, before... Before going there, I mean, in regards to, say, your role at NITV or the path that you've taken toward to getting there, uh, what led you here? Like, you've mentioned about passion, but do you define it as uh, innate curiosity across the years have allowed you to venture through numerous, I guess, projects or, um, you know, creating serendipitous <laughs> um, <laughs> opportunities for yourself or, 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 you know, was it just the passion, just your approach consistently over the years that um, you feel you can attribute to, I guess, that path that you set? Uh, I think it's a lot of saying yes to opportunities, whether or not I am fully confident in my ability to pull it off and then just figuring it out, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and yeah, obviously, I, I grew up with a with a strong passion for video games and you know the, the kind of nerdier side of life always was big into science and I loved creative writing. So I think that that's my core passion. I've always wanted to understand how the world works and then to be able to kind of express that in one way or another or translate it even. I've, I've found I've got a pretty good skill set in. Um, but yeah. honestly, the, like getting to where I am right now is just a combination of skills that I've built up over the years in various different roles leading to me being able to be here today. It's mm. I, I started off wanting to be an actor uh, and and I still do voice acting actually. That's so I'm I'm currently voicing a, a character called Janali Banks in a series that will be out on ABC and Nine actually. It's a collaboration. It's called Space Nova that will be out later this year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I heard. Um, yep. So very cool. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, it started off with acting, so did a lot of theatre and film and you know, TV commercials and, and all that sort of thing, and that led to presenting. And one of the roles that I had presenting, I was having to script everything for myself, and this was a, a video game TV show, so I learned how to write about video games and I learned who that audience was and I got to know everyone, mm. and it's a very small industry here in Australia. So yeah. it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well, you've got that skill set. I can use you for this role and this role and this role. And I just said yes and then learned along the way and just – kind of went from there so it's mm. it's interesting it's yeah it's it is absolutely a passion 
and you have to be excited by what you're doing. But but also I, I think people get caught up in the going, in, you know, in saying things like, oh, I love, I love science, I love video games, I want to be a science or a video game journalist. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 you actually have to love being a journalist because that's what you are at the core. It's just a joyful experience that you have to, you know, report on the things that you love. So it's it's a very different way of approaching it, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I did you the service of um, lurking your IMD pro- uh, IMDb profile. Um, oh, so, God. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, like it just, um, I guess I really love uh, within this um podcast also the the research phase as i i guess um by i guess an element of the journey that you've been taken on where you provide the bio etc and then as i dig into um i guess a bit more research online it starts to paint somewhat of a clearer picture in terms of some elements of the progression but obviously it's the it's the nuances that the guests convey where where it um becomes sort of apparent whether some fate or luck stepped in or whether um, yeah. it was this really clear intentional path. But, I mean, you were you were basically talking about, um, you know, representing your high school in Shakespearean youth festivals. <laughs> um, yes. You know, and, but then the irony, like, uh, you know, in terms of some of the things which are contained within your bio, I mean, you're doing some, um, some judging with Film uh, Victoria on um, emerging video game creators. Was that right? Yeah, that's right. That's I'm I'm one of the assessors for Film Victoria. So they've got a, a fund that they are fortunate enough to be able to give out to uh, independent game developers uh, within the state of Victoria every year. And this year I've been invited to join their panel to be able to have a play of the games, take a look at the teams involved and help decide where that funding goes, which is a huge responsibility. Mm. And for me also feels like a little bit of a culmination of all the work that I've done over the years within the industry. It's it's a place that I've been very familiar with for at least the last 10 years. So to be able to you know, look at particular games and to be able to say, yes, I can see that this addresses a niche that hasn't really been explored or yes, I can see that this would be absolutely commercially viable and needed at this time. I, I think that you know, being able to bring my expertise in those areas to that panel is a fantastic opportunity, and I'm I'm really pleased to be on board. Yeah, with um, maybe maybe what I'll do is address, I guess, what the video game industry within Australia is actually like. I mean, we had a um, another guest, Lizzie Kane, who um, you know, is is well involved within the video game industry, as as is uh, Tim Shiel, who's um doing some video game. Um, music for studios like Mobius and uh, the Voxel Agents. But I'd love to know, um, I guess, maybe with a little bit of hindsight, what, if we could simply say when you started in the video game industry, that's not too tried, but just basically <laughs> what the what the industry looked like at that stage and what it looks like now to paint a clearer picture for people to um, to know and understand Australia's place within that as a wider video game global industry. Absolutely. So when when I first started working as a video game journalist, uh, game development in Australia was was at a really good peak. Uh, so th- there was a real boom with utilising local content here, and there was funding available across the states. Essentially, uh, there was a, a basically uh, there was an Australian Games Fund that was federally funded as well. So the industry was really well supported, 
And those games that were developed, you know, that had such a fantastic return on investment. Uh, it, it was just a no-brainer for the government to keep supporting them. But unfortunately, uh, we, we did have a change in government. And with that change in government uh, came stripping of that funding. And there was a, a huge crash within the local industry. And a lot of people were out of work. A lot of people were out of jobs. Most people went overseas if they could to keep picking up work and it really kind of fractured the local industry and people almost retreated into their little enclaves. There wasn't a whole lot happening in New South Wales. Uh, Victoria continued to uh, develop uh, state funding for game developers uh, in Victoria, but elsewhere it was extremely limited Um, to the extent that there were some... uh, after students, uh, film students who had created a short film that involved an element of interactivity. It was using virtual reality and a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure style, but to them it was Mm. still a short film. Uh, But to the funding bodies it was classified as a video game, so they couldn't receive any funding to develop it. So there's been a bit of a vendetta (laughs) against video games in, in, in one way. And for me, I found as a journalist, I was mainly addressing that uh, with the mainstream media because there was a lot of blaming of video games for causing violence Mm -hmm. around that time. It's a cyclical thing that happens every now and again, despite the the hundreds of studies, literally hundreds of studies that have been done into any kind of links between violence and playing video games that have all come back saying, yeah, no, this this isn't it, basically. Yeah. they were kind of demonised in a way and therefore not really seen as an art form, not really seen as a legitimate entertainment medium. So they've really had to fight for their place. And I think we've had some real runaway success stories over the years within the games industry that have really shifted focus and made people think twice about that. And I think, you know, a couple that come to mind uh, are mobile games, primarily games. So, you know, we're thinking of things like Crossy Road and Fruit Ninja, games that everyone has picked up on their mobile phone and have been hugely successful uh, for a pocket of developers. So I, I and really I can attribute that to the opening of the mobile platform for mm-hmm. developers yep. and the accessibility of that. And it used to be a very small market. So if you put your game on you know, the the app store, you weren't really competing with that many games. Uh, that market, of course, is completely flooded now, and it's a lot harder to get noticed. But I think it really helped cement a few of the studios and and put them on a better footing for the future. I think another thing that's also worthy of mentioning is that when I joined the games industry uh, as as media, uh, some will say that I'm not part of the industry because I was media, <laughs> not not actually making games. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's, that's that's a bit of an argument that that, that I think will go on for the rest of time. That's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when when I first joined, I think I could count on one hand the amount of women that were regularly at events that we would kind of band together. It was extremely male dominated. It still is. the The last figures showed that the Australian games industry is still eighty two percent male. So we've got a long way to go in terms of any kind of gender equality, let alone you know, any other type of diversity within yeah. the industry. Uh, but that is slowly changing and a lot of that has to do with the implementation of 
programs and you know, just basically the women standing up within the industry and saying, you know what, we're, we're not okay with this and you know, we don't want to feel alone and we don't want people to have to go through what we went through at the beginning uh, with having to prove ourselves and prove our legitimacy because we were just seen as you know token hires or you know, people somehow trying to worm our way into the industry for, for male attention, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, and we're seeing a lot of success with those programs. That's, yeah, I know that you've chatted with Lisey, uh, you know, and obviously she's got Girl Geek Academy, which has been hugely successful and wonderful. And mm. I've been, I was fortunate enough to be a, a founding mentor with a program called The Working Lunch, uh, which was founded by a friend of mine, Ali McLean. Uh, and we mentor a, a group of, of young underrepresented people first entering the games industry every year and we give them our 100% undivided attention and we've had a huge amount of success with getting those people you know, really firmly cemented and, and full-time jobs within the industry. So it's been Love really that. wonderful to see that actually working. Do you recognise, I guess, um I guess, did that come about in regards to, I guess, experiences in your life where you either had some really positive experiences with your, um, let's call it, uh, engaging with people within the video game industry or or trying to make sense of how to create a pathway in? Um, or, or was it born actually out of frustration in terms of not being able to find that, I guess, that path or, or clear way in by the same token? I think for me personally, it was more that, you know, once I'd found that that handful of people that were incredibly supportive of what I was doing and I in turn was incredibly supportive of what they were doing, the fact that we could share our knowledge and skills and information and and just contacts and having people to be able to say, hey, do you know who, do, who does this? Who can I talk to about this? Um, you know, getting that assistance and and not feeling so alone and yeah. receiving that support and being able to give that support, it just absolutely was so beneficial towards me. And I, I couldn't imagine other people coming into the industry and, and them just not having access to that. I didn't want them to not have access to that. I wanted everyone to be able to experience how wonderful it is to have a, a group of people that are just there for you, you know, your, your cheerleaders in everything that you do. So, and it, yeah, yeah, it is absolutely. Wonderful. That was that was my main motivation for it uh, and obviously doing anything that will help impact on you know, increasing the diversity within the Australian games industry is only going to be beneficial for literally everyone, including the people that end up playing the games at the end of the day. So it was absolutely. just a no-brainer, really. So, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's not to say that I haven't had negative experiences. Absolutely I have. But, you know, I, I don't really like to dwell on that because I don't actually think that they went very far in shaping who I am or why I do what I do. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that they've had as much of an impact on me as you know, the people that perpetrated those negative experiences yeah, would like. Um, so I don't really want to give them any credit. Uh, <laughs> this is this is more just, you know, receiving support is so wonderful. Why shouldn't everyone be able to receive support? And and that's what I aim to do. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, um, it has been somewhat of a recurring sentiment, both on the podcast and in other, I guess, meetings or interviews I've conducted where some people are really driven by, I guess, um, 
uh, well, let's say negative experiences, but I guess some elements of setbacks, whereas others do definitely feed off, you know, that, that experience of having someone just really take the care to nurture some sort of a, um, you know, a beacon for them to gravitate towards, so still leave the, the, um, the path in their destiny, but, you know, the going out of the way to, um, you know, make a really valuable introduction or pass some feedback or, um, you know, act as a mentor, formal, informal, is often we probably don't appreciate sometimes for the rising generation on how important and how touching that can be, I guess is an oh, easier way absolutely. of saying it. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And on that point, I mean, I, I again, I mean, you've, you've, you're doing the hard work for me. You're talking, <laughs> you're talking about, <laughs> I'm, I'm barely needing to run a, a segue into anything um, here at the moment. So thank you so much, Ray. But um, Sorry, I'm a talker. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it because so am I. But I, I, um, I did, I did um, want to ask you, which is a perfect segue into you received the Lighting the Way Award, uh, which, which dovetails into what you've been referencing, its advocacy and support of the local games industry. So how do, how do you see yourself now in terms of, as a figure, because you you mentioned before around that you're media, so you're not you you, you might be looked upon skeptically in in some ways as not the not from the developer side, from the media side, etc. But what do you see your role as? I guess currently, but but um into the near future. Yeah, I I think receiving that award was a bit of a turning point for me with understanding. You know, how the industry saw me, you know, if they turned around and gave me an award to say, hey, you're one of us and we appreciate what you do, then I thought, I, who am I to argue? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to take this and run with it because it's honestly so beautiful and I, I was incredibly emotionally impacted by receiving that award. I did not expect it. I received it at the Australian Game Developer Awards, which I'd hosted for, I think it was the six years prior to that event. And I'd only just handed over the reins to um, Amanda and Angharad Yo, who are both incredible games journalists themselves and just and sisters and so funny, so, so funny. And I just knew that they do an amazing job. And I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing as well. It's like going, okay, so I've been in this role for a number of years, you know, who could benefit from being in this role now, uh, you know, to, to help build them up as well. So that was, that was something that I handed over to them and they did such a wonderful job. And when they read my name out, I was just in genuine, genuine shock. And I had a little bit of time to think about it, obviously, since then. Um, that was yeah at Melbourne International Games Week last year. Mm. And I think my my role has developed over time because I, I started off as really being an advocate for, for gamers really because we were just being badmouthed everywhere you went. You know, if you if you were a gamer, you were an awful person. You were, you know, a, a serial killer in the waiting. You were, you know, just awful. And that's just not the case. Yeah. I've got a, a a tweet actually that I have pinned. Oh, the pinned one, uh, yes. Where, yeah, where, yep, yep. where I ask people to share with me something good that has happened in their lives because of video games. And honestly, people meet partners. I met my husband through games. You know, they, they forge friendships with long-lost you know, family members. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a portal into creativity and and social connection that I think people don't get, they don't realise if, the, if they're not involved in it in any way. So... While my role 
has kind of evolved from, you know, going on the morning TV shows and saying, well, actually, you know, there (laughs) is a difference between active technology and passive technology. And having your child sit down and and play half an hour of video games is always going to be better for their brain uh, than sitting down and watching half an hour of television. Uh, I don't have to say that on television anymore so much. Uh, and, and, And now I'm more about you know, highlighting the people that are making games and highlighting the, the kind of people that are making games that might not normally hit the media. So you know, underrepresented developers, you know, people that are in that 18% of developers in this country that, that aren't the majority, and to be able to provide a platform for them so that they can be role models and so that other up-and-coming developers can say hey if they can do it I can do it too or there's you know there's people like me that are making games there you know maybe if I reach out they'll be able to you know reach out back and and give me a hand so yeah yeah, I, I like I like that I'm at a point where I've got enough of a platform that I can really use it for good in that sense and hopefully have an impact on the kinds of people that we're attracting to the games industry so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of no, where I'm at. No, it's an amazing sentiment. I mean, I, I still remember when when you'd actually started at Junkie, actually, and I think I remember you tweeting something along the lines of, "All right, here we go. I'm going to launch <laughs> into some serious video game content soon." You know, yes, hold your horses. Um, and, and sure enough, you did. <laughs> with, yeah, with yeah. Full attention, but um, well, that's well, that's why I joined Junkie. They didn't have tech or gaming content, so they brought me on board specifically to develop a gaming vertical. So I, I did that. I went and I set up a gaming vertical and I went, what do I want this to look like? So I, I gathered together writers whose work I love, you know, who might look at games a little bit differently to the norm. Uh, you know, Junkie is a really good site for taking things that are generally considered lowbrow and giving them a bit of a highbrow treatment mm-hmm. you know, to, to really dissect, you know, things like reality TV or, you know, whatever trashy sitcoms on and absolutely treat it like it is an Oscar worthy production. Like, and there's no reason and why we shouldn't be. I, I think that art takes many forms and I think it's always really interesting to, to look at things through that lens. So to be able to give games that treatment, which they very rightly deserve, was incredible. But obviously also having diversity among the voices that were talking about those games was really important to me as well. Yeah. And I was extremely proud to have a, a huge amount of diversity in, in the writers that I engaged for that platform and as a result it it ended up being just such a lovely mix of you know comedy and analysis and yeah just all the things that I loved about games it it, it really became the kind of place that I would want to read and that's what I set out to do as well somewhere where we can celebrate games for what they are you know, we're not really involving ourselves in the politics of the industry in, necessarily, um, you know, or the minutiae of what happens within particular studios, uh, but more about the games themselves and the impact that they can have on the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, like on that, I'll, I'll prepare you by asking uh, of some creators in, in the video game world that we should keep an eye on um, or, or some recently produced uh developers or, or content put out there but before I before I um before we get to that what, what have you noticed of late I guess regarding the role of um pop culture so referencing I guess within your journalism role or the many other projects you're you're involved in the influence of pop culture say in the video games movies tv 
um, context and so on, and their influence on society to help educate or, um, I guess, associate the world that people live in. Uh, it's a, I don't want it to be too much broader, but I guess in terms of the, the conversations that something like video games can arise um, is what I'm really interested to know. Um, and maybe that's an, more an element of the potential for them to, um, for the types of topics or conversations they can broach. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think one of the major benefits of, of video games is their ability for you to completely immerse yourself in the story. It is impossible to play a video game and also be scrolling through Twitter at the same time. You have to give it your undivided attention. Yeah. I think the only thing that would really compare in any way for me would be reading. But even then, you're not taking control of the situation. So even in the games where, you know, you're following a set path or there's only a, a, one particular way to explore the, the scenario that you're in, your immersion is at such a level that it's far easier for you to develop empathy for both your character and the other characters within that story. And I think for this reason, video games are a really powerful medium to be able to place people who would never otherwise have experiences of these characters in situations that they'd never considered and it can absolutely help change their worldview. And they have done like definitely since the beginning. They've, they've always done this. But I think in recent years they've really been used as a vehicle to be able to you know, deliver messages that you know, might be political, you know, might be addressing, you know, things like racism or bigotry or, you know, a lack of understanding around mental illness or all all sorts of things can can be approached through video games. And I love them for that. I love them so much. And I have seen people go into a game not knowing anything about you know, the particular topic and and leave it completely emotionally affected. And in turn it impacting on the way that they carry themselves and how they treat other people, uh, you know, in, in real life. And, yeah, I know that we talk a lot about, you know, video games can't impact on people's emotions to the point where they're going to, you know, incite violence or, or, or make them be violent in the real world. But they can impact on you in, you know, smaller, more positive ways and, yeah. and that has that has been proven and yeah I'm, I'm I'm really happy about that I must say it's just I think it's really nice to see the industry maturing I you know because it, it's only been around for you know 30 40 years it has it's not very old as an industry yeah. so it's nice to see the the kind of topics that we're approaching broadening uh, you know the methods of gameplay broadening the the understanding that you know not everyone likes wartime shooters yeah uh, yeah that like when I first started it was basically like what do you play cod or battlefield and I'm like uh, I don't really like either of them actually I'm more of an <laughs> open world RPG girl myself uh, I like fantasies put a sword in my hand um but admitting that felt like an admission that I didn't belong because it was such a, a heavily you know just there was just this huge belief within games that you know you were a gamer was a certain type of person and and Mm. that was someone that played cod or battlefield or fifa and anything outside of that yeah yeah absolutely so it's really nice seeing everything maturing and broadening and you know that not every game is for everyone 
but there's a game for everyone. That's right. I mean, even, you know, I've just, um, I'm just about through the gardens between at the moment on, on switch. Oh yes. No, I'm just, just having, just having a really emotional, you know, time processing my feelings, you know, while playing it, but it gives, you know, it's, um, it's touching really because it's, it's opening up, um, yeah, I guess my thoughts and association with, you know, friendship and memory and nostalgia and so on. And then of course, you know, being a, a Melbourne-based game development studio, the Voxel Agents, are sort of it's a further love for it, and I love the score and everything. So yes, games, um, yeah, they impact. They really do. Um, but they I, do. I would, they do. I would, I'd love to know who you um, would sort of recommend or advocate for in a in a yeah, perhaps a local capacity, um, whether you know Australia wide. But yeah, some um, either recently released or forthcoming video game-based projects. Oh my gosh, there are so many. I know. I know. <laughs> no, a little unprepared. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, everyone's making incredible, incredible games in this country under some extremely tight conditions. Um, I do have to say, I love. Uh, I, I'm definitely keeping an eye on what Summerfall games are doing. Uh, yeah. uh, they're Liam a relatively Esler. new, yeah, relatively new studio. Um, Liam Esler, uh, who was a narrative designer and writer on the Baldur's Gate series, uh, and also David Gator, who was a writer on uh, Dragon Age, which is one of my absolute favourite series of all time. Um, they're <laughs> making an adventure musical, which. I don't think anyone has actually ever made before. <laughs> uh, this this game is called Chorus and they had an absolutely brutal uh, crowdfunding campaign. It yeah. came down to the wire as to whether or not it would get over the line and it has. And you just look at the characters within these games and it's like, yes, I know five people who are that person. It's <laughs> it's it's just, yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be really, really interesting and really, really innovative. I think we can fall into the trap sometimes of people going, oh, this type of game was highly successful so I'm going to do one that's just like that whereas I think one of the things that I love particularly about the the Melbourne games studios is that they will really think outside the box as to what they're doing um, and try to make something that's completely different um, another team that I want to give a shout out to as well uh, is Dragon Bear Studios mm-hmm. and they're making a game called Chaos Tavern uh, where you run a little magical tavern in a fantasy world uh, and it's just adorable. It's absolutely adorable but it's also the first game studio that I'm aware of in this country that has hired full-time an Indigenous game developer uh, and they're also introducing Indigenous characters into the games and that game developer also adds as their cult- acts as their cultural consultant so... I've had a lot of game studios over the years approach me and be like, hey, Ray, you know, you're Wiradjuri. You know, how do I how do I properly put a, an Indigenous character in my game? And it's really difficult to give specialised advice because you need to be very specific about, you know, who are you putting in the game? You know, where are they from? What's, what's their country? You know, what's their story? Why are you including them? Who have you spoken to? Like... And and I think it's a lot better to go down the path of actually just employing creatives that can represent their own people. Yeah, 
yeah. than it is reaching out for consultancy externally after the fact. Um, consultancy is great, don't get me wrong, um, but it's just not as good as employing someone to join your team. And, and yeah, Dragon Bear Studios have done that, so props to them. Uh, absolutely. I mean, like in a in a pointer question, do you foresee, I guess, what what might have been obviously maybe perceived as well intentioned, but do you foresee that you would um, likely be tapped on the shoulder fairly regularly for for that sort of consult consultative um, type work upcoming, whether relating to video game development or other um, other types of creative projects, um, simply yeah. because of your your role as um, an Indigenous um, advocate across numerous sort of media publications and, and I guess the projects that you're involved in. Do you foresee that happening particularly in life with a lot of what's happening that people yeah. just bring you without much thought or regard? Look, I think um, I get I get a lot of messages already. I, I get about, I'd, I'd say I get about two or three inquiries a week from people that want to do the right thing and they see me as their first port of call because I'm visible uh, but I might not be the best person for them to, to approach so I'm I'm gotten very good at pointing them in the right direction um, and I, I also have to be very careful to not overstep my bounds here as well you know I'm I'm just me I don't speak for anyone else and I am not a cultural authority for anyone's country and I would never aim to represent myself as such um, but but I think you know for a lot of people they don't have contact with a lot of Aboriginal people in their day-to-day life which is a real shame and they need to broaden their horizons yeah, uh, and so I think for me they know me, they know where I am, they know how to reach me, they know that I'm not going to yell at them for asking me. So I, I think that they do reach out to me and that's it's it's fine as long as they're totally okay with receiving a, hey, uh, no, this isn't something that I do, um, but there are organisations out there that can help you. If yeah. they're okay with receiving that advice, then I genuinely don't mind. Yeah, um, okay. it's, it's, it's only really when I get you know, total strangers demanding my time and, you know, demanding that I help them. And then when I say, hey, I'm I'm not actually able to do this for you for, for one reason or another, uh, they get a little bit upset and that that's that's obviously when it's gonna bother me. Um but yeah. yeah. And one more As long as I'm you- able No, 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 it's okay. No, no, I was saying one more thing on your to-do list, but um, you were saying as long as you're able to... Um... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's what I was saying. Yeah, as, as long as I'm able to, you know, stay within my lane, I think that that's really important. Um, that's, you know, like I I think there's a, there's a lot at the moment, there's a lot of discussion on Twitter in particular at the moment about, you know, there's a particular program on a particular network that only ever has, you know, white journalists on it and they should diversify their lineup and I've had a lot of people recommending me to go on this this program but it's a very political based program and I'm not a political reporter so I need to make sure that I really want to talk about science and technology that's what I do and I think there's a bit of a danger as well when you're being asked to spread yourself thin and generalize too much that you you don't really get to sit within your expertise and you can't shine Mm. it's like that's from a purely self-serving standpoint and then there's the standpoint of hey maybe I'm not the one that you should be getting to talk about you know land rights or 
your debts in custody because I'm not the one that's been working on that for 20 years. And here's a list of people that have, you know, spent their lifetime committed to this yeah. and they should be the one taking that seat, not me. I, I have to be really careful that I'm not you know, sitting in a, in a seat that should rightfully belong to someone else. So even though I might be the only Aboriginal people, some people know, <laughs> especially within Tekken games where there's only like six of us or something at the moment. Yeah. Um, right. okay. I, I, I need to be make sure, making sure that I'm also passing the torch, you know, when, when it's right to do so. So yeah, I have to be conscious of that. Look, I, I mentioned before uh, or alluded to, I guess, that concept of noise in your life, like things surrounding you. Uh, that could be a full inbox. That could be pinging, uh, people pinging you out of the blue to ask for your comments or, um, uh, you know, dropping into your you know latest um, sort of Twitter comment and all of a sudden you've got to um, <laughs> you're responding feverishly or, or whatever. But how do you... How do you sort of deal with that um, concept of noise, as in clearing your mind, just being alone with your thoughts? Are you able to, etc.? And then where, where does your mind wander um, when you're sort of <laughs> alone with your thoughts a little bit more? I'm making the presumption of sort of later at night, but obviously you do a num- um, quite a significant amount of uh, travel when, when you know, restrictions allow it, um, which would the reality see you in, you know, potentially staying in hotels like over, <laughs> overnight, you know, constantly in transit. So how do you deal with those sort of concepts of noise, um, everything always on around you? And then also um, how do you sort of unwind and um, associate your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite strict with making sure that I give myself time that I am not online and I don't have you know, devices necessarily in front of me. So yeah, after dinner, um, yeah, I will, I will make sure that I do some yoga. I'm, I'm, I love yoga as a way to un- unwind. So before I go to bed, I'll, I'll do yoga and make myself a cup of tea. And then I like to read in bed before going to sleep rather than having any of my devices on hand, I've learnt that I cannot even use my phone as an alarm because I will just reach out for it and start scrolling. <laughs> I I uninstall a lot of social media apps from my phone itself, actually. So Twitter, uh, I don't have on my phone. I'm only able to access that on my desktop while I'm at work. Otherwise, I just find myself mindlessly scrolling and it becomes really overwhelming as well. It's not just recognising that, you know, you're almost passively consuming all of these thoughts of, you know, constant stream of other people's thoughts. It's, it's that, you know, a lot of time it's just a constant barrage of really bad news and that can have really, you know, heavy impacts on your mental health. And, you know, I, um, I deal with clinical depression, which is one of the reasons that a routine is so important to me and exercise is so important to me. And and I find that having a constant barrage of, of bad news isn't really good for that. You might be surprised to hear Gary. So <laughs> I <like> to... Shocking, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> shocking, shocking. I know. Um, so yeah, I think uh, when I travel though, um, funnily enough, you might think of, you know, being in a plane as downtime, but usually I'm prepping for the event that I'm heading to when I'm on a plane. Uh, so that there's a bit of, you know, rehearsal or scripting or something happening or, or research happening while I'm on the plane. It's not necessarily downtime for me. And what um, you're normally prepping for are things like that startup <laughs> show and, um, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, with Benjamin Law. So, did, I mean, we're getting towards the end of our chat, but did you want to tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, what you're involved in in terms of your hosting, et cetera? I mean, you've been across a lot of programs on television, <laughs> but obviously that startup show is um, one that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, obviously I've yeah. had a little bit of correspondence of an, on it last year when you were hosting with Ben, but new, new scenarios such as isolation and COVID hitting, um, new yeah. type of that startup show for a new season. So tell us about it and obviously how that relates to your, um, I guess, STEM journal- journalism converging with your hosting and entertainment um, want. Yeah, absolutely. So I started working on that startup show when I was at Gizmodo, actually. Um, that startup show, we're looking at hosting the program on the Gizmodo website. So it was a it was a natural fit for me to be involved as, as the editor at that time. Uh, and also, I just really loved the team. I really loved the team, love what they were doing. And I had a real focus on Gizmodo of uh, supporting and highlighting entrepreneurs, uh, on, you know, scientists, particularly Australian scientists who I adore everything that they do. They're like my heroes. So, uh, yeah, I, I love being involved in the show. It's, it's a fantastic program. We, we get to listen to a whole bunch of new ideas from really interesting people. And we actually, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell you this. I'm sure I am. We actually, uh, have been filming the most recent season uh, in a very interesting socially distanced uh, COVID safe way. So, you know, as the world has had to adapt, so has the program. Yeah. And yeah, we're, we're absolutely forging ahead with the next season. And, and that's happening. Yeah, in, in some very innovative, uh, very highly tech focused ways, I think I can safely say. I love it. I, I cannot. I cannot wait to see what eventuates because obviously I've got a lot of love for Anna and Ahmed and um, and the crew. But um, look, I'm really excited to see it. I, I love the fun um, vibe, but also you know highly educational, which I've always loved. But um, specifically that fun vibe, which is much needed um, within a, I guess. I mean, we keep saying a tech, tech industry. I mean, what even is a tech industry, to be honest? But um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, that that sort of that relief um, it will definitely be much needed um, this year and onwards. So I can't wait to see it. But look, I would love to know. Um, I mean, give us as we end this, like right now. Um, you're a huge horror fan. Give us a recommendation yes. of your sort of favorite horror film, <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, or oh. one one to go for. I'll say mine, Hereditary. I cannot get it out of my mind. Oh um, yes, yes. I love Hereditary. Good choice. Um, cool. Can I cheat? Can I cheat and say a TV series? Yeah, go on, <laughs> go for it. Uh, the Outsider, uh, which is a, a one of the best Stephen King adaptations I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's got Jason Bateman in it. He's incredible. Uh, it's got Ben Mendelsohn, who is also amazing. The acting is superb. It really captures the horror of Stephen King beautifully which is that kind of overwhelming essence that no matter what supernatural event is occurring it's it's humanity which is always the scariest part Uh, they absolutely nail it and it's incredibly haunting must watch the outsider watch it yeah i have barely forgotten that show after watching it as well nihilistic vibes with that one it's it's amazing it's honestly so good i i think i think i'm worth a (laughs) rewatch Look, I could probably wax lyrical about um, yeah, for sure. about horror films um, ongoing. But look, Ray, um, thank you for giving us a little peek into your life. I know it's um, 
it uh, it's a roller coaster. It's up and down, and new new projects emerging, and you're in and out of um, different cities hosting and whatnot. But look, we're really yeah. excited to see um, where you take this science and, techno- science and technology editor role at NITV. I'm really excited with all the the projects that stem from that, um, such as the Take a Black podcast, the Point, and so on. So, but I want to thank you so much for being on. A lot to say. It's um, been an ab- absolute pleasure to get to know you over the last three years through the Science Gallery Leonardo's program and uh, and more. So thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. It's it's funny we were talking for so long. I still f- barely feel like we scratched the surface of what I do. Maybe I need a rest. Look, it's often the way 45 minutes or thereabouts um, disappears in a blink. So um, it is the Absolutely. way, but it's, it's, a, it's a treasure to hear, um, you know, a lot of your backstory and, and I guess your pathway into whatever you would call a career now. So thank you again. No, thank you very much. So that was my chat with Ray Johnston as part of the A Lot To Say podcast. And may I say an absolute pleasure to have her involved. I, I've just always gravitated towards the way she created this pathway for herself in the gaming industry and I'm especially hardened by her by her passion and the work she puts into raising up and engaging with young people uh, no matter their background Uh, so you can find out more of what Ray's up to on her Twitter and Instagram accounts at Ray Johnston and also via her website www.rayjohnston.com so this was a lot to say episode two with Ray Johnston exploring unconventional career paths and the projects that consume us I've been your host, Gary Williams, and music in this podcast is by my old band, Bateman. Uh, we actually sound nothing like it, but explore it if you dare. Um, the track is called Fangbanger. It's produced by our drummer and my friend, Gareth Leach. And you can follow a lot to say on the Alts Projects social media channels at Alts Projects. So see you in the next episode, and thanks again for joining. Cheers. Cheers.